All right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11, and we'll be in verses 22 through 25, one of which, one of those verses is verse 24. So I want you to imagine with me uh, in a hypothetical scenario that you have a devotional book that you picked up. Maybe you even picked it up at a Christian bookstore or in the line at Hobby Lobby, let's say. And at the top of this devotional is a verse on prayer, and it says, dot, 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 I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then, again, in a hypothetical scenario, this super famous television preacher slash author slash private jet owner proceeds to encourage you to make bigger and grander requests to God. He says, a mountain-moving God is just waiting to give us more of our deepest desires if we will only ask. But then he gives the warning. Oh, here's the key question for you today, my friend, as you consider this dot, dot, dot verse. Will you have enough faith? Do you have the faith to believe God will give you what you ask for? And then maybe you proceed to go about your day feeling a little down on yourself because you obviously have failed to have enough faith to materialize the Nissan Titan you wanted right in your driveway. Just take it from the dealership, Lord. Move that mountain of a truck into my driveway. Of course, I say this all in jest, but there is a reason why I'm bringing up this hypothetical scenario. And that is that there is an entire theological system that is built around the proof texting of verses like this one. It's called the word of faith movement. And maybe you've heard it called the name it, claim it type of thing. Like if I can just think it, name it, and believe it enough, it will happen. And that is taking this verse out of context. It actually equates more to the way the new age and mystical kind of thinking, like if I can kind of materialize it with my thoughts, it sounds a lot more like new age uh, movement than it does the God of the Bible. You see, the Bible gives us a wealth of instruction about prayer, repeatedly stressing the importance of trusting God to answer our prayers. But a pithy statement like this one that I kind of made up in this hypothetical scenario, uh, it doesn't take into account all of the context of what the New Testament teaches about prayer. You see, something like the Word of Faith movement results when we lift a Bible verse out of its context and ignore the rest of the teaching of Scripture. I like what apologist Greg Kokel says. He gives this advice, and it will catch your attention for sure. He says, never read a Bible verse. That's kind of catchy, isn't it? It's like, what? You're, you're a Christian. What do you mean? Never read a Bible verse. And what he means is you never read just one verse. You see, that verse has a paragraph. In fact, the verse numbers, just if you're new to the Bible, I just want to explain. The verse numbers were not in the original. The verse numbers came as a helpful tool for us to literally be all on the same page. Like, hey, you you turn to Mark 11 and verse 20. Well, that helps us all find the same place. But the originals were their letters. There were genres. There's uh, different types of genres. So it's not just the sentence. It's the sentence in a paragraph. And that paragraph might have been in a letter or it might have been in a historical writing or it might have been in poetry 
And so we have to consider the context of what we read. Never read just a verse is the encouragement to you. And so if you want to learn more about how to read your Bible, uh, come see me. I'll give you a recommendation on a good book you can study. But listen, you don't need a book to understand basic, basic principles. It'd be like if you were stationed overseas in the military and some friend of yours faithfully wrote you every other week. And you had a whole host of these letters uh, that you had collected over time. And then you decided one day, I'm just going to throw all the better, the letters, the better's on the lead, the letters on the bed, and I'm going to pick one random letter. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to find paragraph five and sentence number three, and I'm going to read it. And it says, the Bengals devoured the Cowboys the other day. And then you go confidently to your military friends and say, guys, you, you won't believe it. There are these four-legged animals that are loose, and they're eating these uh, Stetson hat-wearing dude ranchers in Texas. We have to be aware of this. This is a global crisis. Because you've taken out of context what your friend was writing about was football games, right? But you took it out as one little lift of a verse. And that's the kind of thing that we want to try and avoid when we come to Scripture. So as we stand to read this very short portion of Scripture, I'm going to focus today on verses 22 through 25. So we were going to learn more about prayer. But when we stand, let's read verses 20 through 25, grab just a little bit more of the context. And then when we sit down, we'll begin with this question. Why does Jesus take this opportunity to teach in this way about prayer? That'll be the question we start with. So will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? And again, I'll begin in verse 20 of Mark chapter 11. It's somewhere around page 900 in your pew Bibles. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig, the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, Everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. So here's the question. Why does Jesus take this opportunity to teach in this way about prayer? What is the context? Did you see how this is Jesus' words in response to a question Peter, or excuse me, a comment Peter made? Peter made a comment about the fig tree that Jesus had cursed. You'll remember last week, Brother Wayne was preaching about the cursing of the fig tree. And he said, as the fig tree, so the temple, and as the temple, so the people of Israel. And, and Jesus, he had come across this fig tree that was showing itself to have all the signs of a tree that would have had fruit on it, but it didn't. 
And so he cursed it. And as Brother Wayne pointed out, it was symbolic of the cursing of the temple and what was taking place. Remember, Jesus had just overturned the money changing. He had just kind of gone about taking, um, taking priority and taking authority in the temple of God and saying, you should make this a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And so as Jesus comes by the tree and as the disciples are coming by, Peter says, do you see what has happened? And Jesus says in response, if you have faith in God, if you have faith, you will see greater things done than even this. So what was it about the tree in particular? I'm going to take a moment for us to pause. Let's go ahead and just say a brief word of prayer. I see some people attending to someone in the room. And we're going to stay focused on the message here, but we do want to pray for that moment. Heavenly Father, I pray for our sister and just ask that you would be with her and her health. Lord, I pray that all will be well with her. And thank you for those who are attending to her right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So passing by, um, we see an example of Jesus talking about the faith that is necessary. So there's a contrast going on here between the faith of prayer and the lack of faith that is happening in the temple every day. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It was missing. It was absent in the temple. And that was symbolized by the fig tree. And so Jesus is saying, you, as you pray, need to have that kind of faith when you are praying. And then perhaps another reason would be the kind of power that would have been on display as Jesus, I keep looking at this tree, like maybe this is the fig tree. Did Wayne do that too? Okay. So, you know, the power, you you see a tree with leaves and then the next day you're walking by and it's barren. It's gone. And the, the disciples are kind of astounded at this. And they say, they're amazed. Like, Jesus, can you believe this happened? And Jesus is like, greater things than this will happen. There is a power available to you when you pray, and he takes this opportunity to teach them that faith acting through prayer is powerful. So Jesus teaches the disciples three things about the power of prayer. First of all, when you pray, don't lose focus on the source of power. He teaches them not to lose focus on the source of power. You see, verse 22 is part of the antidote to not taking verse 24 out of context. It's extraordinarily clear, isn't it? Jesus says to them, have faith in God. The reason you can believe that what you ask for will come to be is because the object of your faith is God and thus the source of the power that will make the prayer effective. In other words, God is not going to do anything outside of his will, but God is the one who will bring it to bear and will bring it to be. And if his power is infinite, if this is the God to whom we pray, then we can know that we can do amazing things in his name. So right out of the gate, in my estimation, this verse, have faith in God, is almost the same thing as what Jesus says when he says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Do you know that? In John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus teaching again says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the father may be glorified in the son. So what I'm 
arguing is that this phrase, have faith in God, is like Jesus saying, when you ask it, ask it in my name. There is, there is an object of our faith. This is not a willy-nilly genie in a bottle moment. This is God at work through our prayers. Faith in God understands that our focus is on him as the object of our faith and the one in whose strength and power the things for which we ask will be accomplished. But that assumes something, doesn't it? It assumes that there will be something we actually ask for. It assumes that there will be things that we ask for. So don't lose focus on the source of power, but don't lose focus, period. Full stop. Sometimes I believe our Christian prayer life is lackluster because we just fail to ask God for anything at all, period. We don't pray. We have access to the very throne of God by the blood of Jesus Christ to go boldly to God with our requests, and we don't even ask. John Piper once said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Insert your favorite social media, or maybe it's Wordle these days. It's getting all of us, right? It will be a proof to us that we didn't lack the time to pray. We just didn't do it as often as we could have or perhaps should have. We have the time. We just don't ask. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you everything you pray and ask for. Jesus assumes we are going to have requests. Whatever you ask, he says in prayer, the whatever is a thing. Take your requests. Like Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. Let's not hold back. Let's not get distracted. Let's keep focus on actually praying and requesting these things by God and for his will and glory. I've gone to great lengths to show you that when we never read a Bible verse, the things we ask for are to be in accord with the other teachings of Jesus on prayer and in alignment with the character and the name of God. But I just want to encourage us, nevertheless, we must ask. So when you pray, don't lose focus on the source of power. That will inform what it is you're asking for, and it should also encourage you to continually ask for his power to be at work to accomplish his will. But in addition to not losing focus on the object of our faith, when we pray, we must not lack faith in God's follow-through. So number two, when you pray, don't lack faith in God's follow-through. In verse 23, the hyperbole of moving mountains is there to say God can accomplish the impossible, whatever that might be, but we must not doubt. God can accomplish the impossible, but we must not doubt. Continuing that idea of faith in God's follow-through is where our verse 24 comes to play, and it doesn't begin with a dot, dot, dot. It begins with a therefore, and one of the tips and tricks of reading and studying scripture is when you hear a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Okay, therefore, I tell you, everything you ask and pray for, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. In other words, that verse 
is a lot more about faith over doubt than it is a blank check, genie in the bottle situation. The therefore comes and the continuation of his thought comes as an encouragement to believe that God will follow through when you lay your request before him. Believe and don't doubt. In fact, notice the language in verse 24. Jesus says, believe you have received it. Not that you will receive it. It's that as though you've already have received it. Like before I say amen, have faith that God will accomplish that for which you are praying. When you pray, the kind of faith necessary is the kind of faith that considers what you've prayed for as good as done. The moment you say amen. Now, admittedly, this is probably why so many of our prayers, even God-honoring ones, are impotent. They lack genuine faith. I'm not talking about the faith to have a brand new truck. I'm talking about the kinds of prayers that are in accord with God's will. But we just don't fully believe God's promises, so we doubt he has ever heard or if he will follow through. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about prayer. He says that, quote, spirit-wrought prayers urgently plead the promises of God with God in the very presence of God. Write that down. That's a really important way of thinking of prayer. Spirit-wrought prayer urgently pleads the promises of God with God in the presence of God. Spurgeon makes it an analogy of wrestling, like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord to get the blessing. To prevail in prayer, we must also, in a way, wrestle with God, preaching his own promises to ourselves as we pray and believing in faith that he will follow through on his word. God may give us mercy even when we don't have faith, but that will be out of his grace. In other words, there are things God does for us even when we lack the faith. And if it happens, it's because God showed his grace in bringing it about. But this is the key. If we have faith and plead the promise with earnest faith, it's no longer a probability as to whether or not God will follow through or whether or not my prayer will be answered. Because unless God would swerve from his word, unless his oath, which he has given, is revoked, which means God himself would cease to be God because God is not a liar, we know everything we ask for will be true for us in prayer. And I find that absolutely remarkable. It's almost too good to be true. Let me give you an example of a way in which we can stumble in this area. I've seen it in my own heart and life, and I've seen it in the lives of others. R.C. Sproul Sproul tells a story that when he was on staff at a church, a woman came to him for counsel because of her unrelieved feelings of guilt over a sin she had committed in the past. And he goes on to say, I advised her that she needed forgiveness from God, and the only possible way to receive it was for her to repent. And when I told her that, she got a little irritated with me. She said, look, I thought you were a theologian. She was looking for some sort of technical answer. 
Not the kind of answer she could have gotten in her prayer group or something like that. She said, I've asked God 50 times to forgive me for this sin, and I'm still overwhelmed by my guilt. So I told her she needed to pray one more time and repent of her sin. And that's the point at which she got very irritated with them. And she said, I told you, I've asked God to forgive me many times. I have repented, but why do I still feel guilty? And he said to her, you need to pray for forgiveness one more time. But this time, you need to pray God will forgive you for another sin. It's the sin of unbelieving pride. Of course, she didn't understand the point he was making and became even more frustrated. So he took her to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mandy, we are praying for you. Thank you to those who have come to take care of our sister. The promise is clear in Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he explained to her that she didn't feel forgiveness because she hadn't believed the promise of forgiveness in Scripture. She couldn't accept that forgiveness was so simple as God following through on his word. Listen, friends, I honestly come across this over and over again. Do you believe that God would forgive you when he says he will? That is one area when we pray that I believe sometimes we lack faith. If God's word says he can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then we need to believe and not lack faith in God's follow through. So let's learn to pray with confidence that God will answer those kinds of prayers if we truly believe and let's believe it before we say amen. Let me give you one last little side note here because again, I so earnestly desire for us to have a full contextual view of scriptural prayer. So you need to hear this as well. Sometimes God answers our prayers with no. Sometimes God answers our prayers, no. Jesus himself prayed earnestly. Certainly we know he would not have lacked faith. He prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And yet the suffering was not taken away from him. You see, the will of God was that Jesus would take and drink the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. And praise God, he did. Praise God, the answer was no to Jesus' prayer that the suffering would pass from him. Because were it not for the suffering of Jesus Christ, none of us would be saved. Were it not for his bloodshed on Calvary, we would be lost in our transgressions and sin. And so sometimes God answers prayer, no, however, Faith in God is what propelled Jesus to and through the cross. Amen? Because were it not for his faith that God would vindicate him and raise him from the dead after suffering, we wouldn't be saved. And we wouldn't have victory over death and sin and hell. And so Jesus' prayer in faith was answered no. 
And yet he continued in his faith, believing God and his will and his plan was best. And I just confess to you, that's hard. That's hard for me as a pastor. That's hard for us as brother elders. Sometimes we don't understand why God would say no to our requests being sent before him. But we believe him to be able to answer. But we trust his will and his sovereignty. That is how Jesus taught us to pray, is it not? He said, uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We're about to be there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He says, not my will, but your will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so Jesus has taught two things. First, we need to not lack, um, lose focus in the source of God's power. Second, don't lack faith in God's follow-through. And third, when you pray, don't leave out forgiveness of others. Look with me at verse 25. Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. You see, another reason that followers of Jesus might find their prayers lacking in God's power is they are harboring unforgiveness in their hearts. Jesus is clear that his followers are to forgive others. Do you remember when Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness? He asked him, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? It's like maybe he was a church member somewhere, you know? It's like, how many times are they going to, you know, keep doing this thing? And Jesus replies, not just seven like Peter asked, 70 times seven. There's a constant need for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be forgiving of others. And then Jesus, in response to Peter's question, do you see the context? There's a response to his question about how many times to forgive. And then Jesus launches into a parable about forgiveness. And he talks about a person who had been forgiven an enormous debt. It'd be like 20 years worth of your salary kind of debt. A debt that someone could hardly ever repay in one lifetime. And this man that had this enormous debt was completely forgiven. Wiped clean. Don't worry about it. And then he proceeds to turn around and go to somebody that owes him one day's wages and has him assaulted and beaten and thrown in prison because that guy won't repay him what he owes him. And Jesus is obviously teaching about the irony here that the man who had been forgiven so much was unable to forgive so little. Jesus had to pay our sin debt with his blood. So I ask you, how in the world can we be unwilling to forgive when somebody repents of their sin against us? We owed, we were like that man that owed so much that we could never repay God for what we owe him. How can we turn around and not be forgiving to others? And then, as I said, Jesus modeled how to pray for his disciples. He told them to pray like this. It's on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, this is where Matthew takes a bit of a change. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Whoa. So it brings us kind of full circle, kind of to the idea of never read a Bible verse. Why? Because while the promise of God is that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, that's a true promise. But never read just a Bible verse, because it's also true, he will not forgive us when we refuse to forgive other people. They're both true. You say they sound contradictory. Oh, quite the opposite. It proves the point. You really haven't confessed all your sins. Back to the Sproul story. You have failed to confess the sin of unforgiveness. Not forgiving others is a sin. It's wrong. And it's an extraordinary slap in the face of a holy and merciful God to expect his forgiveness of your overwhelming debt and hold something against your brother or sister in Christ. So to me... The application for today's message is very simple and very clear and very straightforward. If your prayers are losing focus, remember the source of the power to answer your prayers is God. God is the source of the power to answer your prayer. If you're losing focus, be specific and be biblical and let your requests be known to God. Second, If your prayers are lacking faith, then ask the Lord to help you better believe his promises and trust that God always follows through. Ask him to give you faith to believe. It's like the the man in Mark's gospel that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Many of us need God to strengthen our faith in him that we would trust his follow through. And finally, if your prayers are leaving out forgiveness, then I would say follow the model of the Lord's prayer when you pray. It will be a great help to us, a great guide to our prayer life, and serve as a constant reminder of our need to forgive others since we have been so abundantly forgiven. And practically speaking, I encourage you, if you have this sense of like, okay, he's hitting really close to home right now, I know in my heart there's somebody that I am harboring this unforgiveness toward. Then today is a perfect day not to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a totally acceptable use of this common grace. God gives us this grace to partake and to remember his body and his blood. But he also warns us not to do so in an unworthy manner. And he says, if you were here offering a gift, like if you were giving a gift to the altar in worship, and you know something's wrong, like your brother has something against you, or maybe you the other way, go. Leave the gift, forget it, and go there. Like, let's be real about our faith. Let's be genuine about what we proclaim instead of going through the motions today. So I would 
hope that there would be no judgment in this room for people that you know are believers who choose to abstain from the Lord's Supper today as they go and seek the forgiveness of somebody or offer forgiveness, more importantly in this case, to somebody who's been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do a work in your heart. Because it makes me wonder, is that perhaps why sometimes our prayers are so impotent and powerless? The cursed fig tree was a picture of God's power. How quickly he can accomplish what seems to be impossible. Prayer is another arena where the power of God will go on display, but it requires the proper focus, the proper faith, and forgiveness. So let me close with a paraphrase of Charles Spurgeon about prayer. He says, in prayer, God has given us a mighty weapon. Let's not let it rust. Will you pray with me now? Oh God, in your kindness, you gave us a sermon and another sermon opportunity to pray while we listen. And Lord, our hearts have been uh, prayerful for Mandy. And we pray even now in faith, believing that you are in control of that situation. We ask that you would help those who are attending to her and Lord, that she would be well. God, I thank you for the faith of believers all across the room and the maturity of those who have been uh, praying and listening. And to you be the glory for that. Father, I also thank you for the kindness of your word, giving us your revealed word completely and totally uh, without error and preserved for us to receive by faith. And so, Lord, if we would believe it, I do believe our prayer lives would increase, that we would improve and that we would sense a greater portion of your power at work in us, accomplishing your will in this world and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, if we would just pray in faith and not lack that forgiveness, we leave that off. I think when we think about prayer, we think about faith and we know that we have to believe But Lord, you modeled for us how to pray. And in the model prayer you gave your disciples, the idea of forgiving others is baked in. God, help us if there's one thing that we take away from today. May it be that we ought to be forgiving people. Lord, teach us how much we owed you, how indebted we were to you, God, how costly our sins were and are, and how it grieves your heart, and yet the abundant riches of your grace and your kindness toward us. Jesus came and paid it all. Lord, he said, I didn't come but to give my life as a ransom. I came as a ransom for many. So Lord, you've ransomed us. You've bought us back. You've paid the price. 
And we are forgiven and free and we can live in the Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It feels like you can walk on the clouds until that person, that father or son or daughter or sister or mother or brother or sister in Christ just gets under our skin and bothers us and irks us. Or maybe they've done something incredibly wrong and incredibly sinful And yet they've repented and they've come and they've asked us forgiveness. And Lord, if there's someone in the room here today that knows this is them, Lord, I pray that you're just breaking through those cement walls of the grudges and cement walls of a hard heart of unforgiveness. And you're breaking that down and opening up the heart that is a conduit of your grace to others. A conduit of the kind of radical grace you showed us. Lord, may we hear your word when you say 70 times 7. You mean as often as we need to do it. Lord, help us to be patient, long-suffering. Help us as we wrestle through the messiness of relationships. God, they're all around us, and it seems in our world they're more and more fractured. So, Father, I pray that we would be known by radical forgiveness and that as a result of that work of grace in our hearts toward others, that there would be power in our prayers, power to accomplish your will, to see your kingdom come, to see lives radically transformed by the gospel, and, Lord, to see us made holy and made into Christ-likeness, which is the aim of everything you bring about. Oh, Father, I think of the Apostle Paul. He prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. Lord, if there was a man of faith, I believe Paul was a man of faith. And yet your answer was no. And Paul writes to us to tell us, that your power was made known through his weakness. And so God, even in that prayer, your power shined through because Paul understood in faith, your will will be done. Help us to understand the complexity of this, but Lord, also help us to trust the simplicity of it that we can come to a good father. Jesus, when you taught about prayer, you said, what what father, if their son comes, would give them a scorpion instead of food or a snake instead of bread? Lord, you're a good father. How much more will you give to us when we come to you and ask? So Lord, help us to keep coming, to keep knocking, to keep asking, and to keep believing that you're a good father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.